You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. The passage we're going to look at today, uh, it's actually, it's a great story. It comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And uh, we're going to read it together. And uh, this will be on the screen here. And then um, we'll go through. Well, there should be uh, an outline for if, if you'd like to take notes in your worship guide, it should be there. So here we go. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity now as we continue in worship, as we've lifted our voices, we've partaken in communion, we've worshiped you through our giving. Uh, Father, now as at this time, we, uh, we look to your word, how you've revealed yourself to us, your people. Father, help us to uh, get a better sense, maybe something new, a little different as to what you were doing back then in a way that helps us understand how you want to work in our lives even today. Uh, so, Lord, commit, we commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, if you spend your life uh, standing in front of people, talking or teaching, um, eventually you're bound to encounter some unusual circumstances. Um, one time I encountered what uh, we perceived to be um, some, um, what's the word? Hecklers, thank you. Hecklers while performing a wedding on the beach um, in San Diego. That was an interesting uh, uh, scenario there. Um, I've had radio stations come through the PA system in the middle of sermons. Um, one time, about five minutes into a sermon, I had, it was a big room, I had about 45 people all across the thing just get up and walk out. I mean, that does something to your self-image. I mean, like, just like, and I, I really haven't gotten anything. What was funny, I found out later, they had just installed a new uh, uh, pager system for the nursery, and the person, instead of hitting the number, hit an all call. And uh, so all these parents got up and walked out. But you're standing there talking, and it's like, really? I just, like, oh, that was hard. But... Uh, <laughs> Literally, I got up for the next service, and I started talking. I started talking like, okay, good, no one moved. So uh, just uh, 
So basically, they tell you that those who are in this field, they tell you that when something unusual happens, you just acknowledge it and keep moving. You don't spend any time with it. You, if, if you ignore it, it actually makes an awkward scenario for people. So you acknowledge it, and that just allows everyone to kind of move on. And that served me quite well over the years, except for one time. Um, there's one time... Um, sitting exactly where Lowell's sitting, second row, center aisle, um, an elderly gentleman, and his colostomy bag broke. Those of you who get this realize church stopped right then and there. There was no recovery. Um, we, church, church was over, and uh, it was it was a it was a terrible moment for everyone involved. And uh, yeah, it was really bad. Really, really bad. So, while not as gross, Jesus encountered here a very unusual situation. It's one that, from the rest of the Gospels, he never encountered something like this before. And it wasn't something which he could just acknowledge it, like, hey guys, and just keep moving. He literally had to change everything about what he had planned. You know, what was on his agenda to teach that day got immediately transitioned. He had to change that. Everything he had planned came to immediate stop. Now, so let me give you a little background as to this paralytic. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us anything about this man, about who he was. We don't know how old he was. There's nothing about him we know. We do, though, however, know a little bit what life was like for someone who was like this man, someone who was, who was paralyzed or paralytic. Largely, his life was a mat, probably a four-foot-by-six-foot mat. That was his basis of existence. He couldn't get up from that mat unless someone picked him up. He couldn't move his mat and go sit somewhere else unless someone actually picked him up and moved him. He needed help to eat, to get food. He couldn't go get it himself. To bathe himself, he needed help. Um, getting to the water, you know, just the, the washing process, moving from place to place could not be done on his own. Never. He could never get anywhere around on his own. Back in those days, they really didn't have medical aid either. Um, they may have had crutches, uh, but there was certainly no wheel, the idea of a wheelchair or other types of aids that people have today getting around. He couldn't work. He couldn't contribute to society in a positive way uh, in that regard. He had to beg to eat. He literally lived at the mercy of everyone around him. That was his existence. And if the physical challenges weren't enough in that day and age, the, the society was very cruel in that there was a stigma attached to people who had physical disabilities. John 9 tells us this, that they're walking and, and the apostles see someone that, who is blind. And one of the apostles asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? So basically, if you have a physical disability, it was deemed to be that you deserved it. And so not only was there a physical challenge, you were ostracized through in society. So that was the reality for this young, this, I'm assuming, young man. Um, he had nothing going for him. That life was an amazing challenge. Nothing going for him except for one thing. He had some amazing friends. That's right. This was the killer small group of all time. <laughs> this story exists because of these four friends. Without these four friends, this story never happens. Without these four friends, this man never encounters Jesus. 
He's never healed, and he never hears the words of forgiveness. All of this happens because of these four friends. So the story unfolds, as we just read. You know, so that's the background. So as, as we're understanding a little bit just how a lot of this worked within Jesus and from the Gospels, that Jesus traveled from town to town. And so in this case, Jesus was back in town. He is in this part of where, uh, I forget the name of the town he was in, but um, so he's back in town and his friends hear about it. And they need, they say, let's just take, just take our friend to Jesus. Maybe he'll heal him. Now they realize this is, logistically, this is incredibly tough. I mean, they know there's going to be crowds there. They know they've got to carry him. And it's possible that this house where he was going may have just been right around the corner from where the man sat in his mat, but it's probably also likely it may have been a mile away. And they've got to carry this friend there. And they know there's crowds there, and, and there's probably all kinds of other logistical. It's hot. You know, it's just, it's all these things, but they didn't care. Nothing stood in the way. There was nothing about that situation that said, yeah, we should, we should think of something else. They were determined to get their friend to Jesus. And so they do. They, they tell him they'll pick him up at a certain time. They show up and they literally pick him up and take him to go see Jesus. And probably as they expected, they get to the home. And what does the, the passage tell us? It's packed. In fact, it says it's so full that you couldn't even stand in the doorway. It was, it was just a jam-packed house and nothing... And you got to realize, back in the day, there wasn't TV. There wasn't a football game on that afternoon. You know, the SEC conference hadn't been invented yet, so it wasn't football on a Saturday. Whatever it was, this was the only event going on in the community. So Jesus is here, and, and his reputation preceded him clearly. And so it was just a, an, a, just a crazy place to be, all these people and everyone wanting to, to hear what Jesus had to say. I can imagine their frustration. One sense they're so excited and, and they can't wait to see what's going to happen when their friend meets Jesus and only to realize that there's just absolutely now no way to do anything. And so in my mind, I picture them, you know, st- you know setting their friend down, kind of gathering around. All right, what are we going to do? You know, we've come all this way. What's going to happen? And, you know, one of them, probably the corporate manager of the group says, you know, we've got to figure out a plan. You know, we've got to figure out some way to, to get, make this work. And... Nobody has anything. And then one of them, probably the youngest, and he's probably tattooed and pierced, you know, and uh, he has this, he's an out-of-the-box thinker, and he says, hey, why don't we climb up on the roof, break through it, and lower our friend down to Jesus that way? I, I, can you imagine? It's like, yeah, that's a great idea, you know. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's the only idea that's on the table. Nothing else was possible. And so we know because of the story that that's exactly the, the path they chose to pursue. And we also know that back in those days, you see in movies that a lot of houses had um, kind of like an adobe or brick um, or mud type roofs because you actually walk on them, they supported weight. So that wasn't this kind of roof. This is much more of a wood thatch type of roof. Um, and so they were able actually to, to, to climb up and actually to start to um, tear it apart. Um, <laughs> So that's what they did. They climb up and they're starting to, you know, pull things away and starting to make a hole. And imagine if you're in the house <clears throat> and you're hearing noises, you know, you hear them kind of climbing across the roof and, 
you know, then you're starting to see hands, you know, in a hole, and it's starting to get bigger and break, and there's things falling in, and, and the people underneath getting hit with stuff, and, you know, I can imagine just that commotion. I wonder if Jesus, by now, he just stopped, you know, it's just like, yeah, I, this, is too, this is a big distraction, or if he's trying to talk through it. You know, imagine the homeowner trying to wonder what he's going to do with this new skylight that's being installed in his house. Um, <laughs> And then you've got to see the four friends, the hole's now big enough, and they're looking down at Jesus, wanting to see what is he going to do? What's his reaction going to be? And then I can imagine Jesus looking up at these four friends, wondering, seeing in their faces, they're wondering how he's going to respond. Wondering if this is going to be a good idea or if this is going to get them in really big trouble. But seeing in in their faces that they really didn't care about anything else. They were really there for their friend. They wanted their friend to meet Jesus. So that brings, so we've got this encounter. So this gives me a a few thoughts, two thoughts here about roof breakers. People who uh, who have this way of going about breaking roofs. My first thought is this, or observation thoughts about this passage. One is Jesus saw their faith. The passage tells us very clearly, he saw their faith. Most often in the New Testament, Jesus commends the faith of the one who is asking for healing. By your faith you are healed, or because you have done this you have been healed. And in this case here, the passage tells us that the faith resided not in the paralytic, but in his four friends. He saw their faith. Faith will do that. Faith will sometimes drive you to dig holes in a roof for a friend. Roof breakers listen. Even though they're very busy, they take time to listen. Roof breakers, they'll speak the truth to their friends, even when it's hard. Roof breakers will initiate an activity, an event, for the sole purpose and benefit of the other person. Jesus saw their faith. So for me, the question is, what did he see? Because really, if, you, if you're thinking about this, what he saw was four dusty, sweaty faces. They were determined and hopeful. You could tell that probably in their expressions. They were thinking only about their friend. We can also surmise that their attitude was such that they didn't care what anyone else thought. They weren't thinking about you know, the mess they were making. They weren't thinking about the inconvenience they were causing to the group below. They weren't thinking about, you know, how are we going to fix this later? You know, they were, their sole focus was on just this. I have to believe that in that moment, Jesus saw what God intended when he created human beings. He saw humanity at its finest, at its very best. He sees their faith. Now, that's quite a contrast because the passage also tells us that in that room were also teachers of the law, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and there's a couple other groups and teachers, and these were experts who had an incredible amount of knowledge about what it meant to live for God and be godly. An amazing amount of knowledge. These were, these were the experts, if you will. So we have them on one hand, and on the other hand, you've got four uncouth, etiquette-challenged young men who would do anything for their best friend. Who do you think was greatest in the eyes of Jesus? 
I see, I'm convinced that the greatest sign of a spiritually mature person is not a head full of knowledge, but a heart that desperately loves people and desperately loves Jesus. Amen. So that's my first thought. Jesus saw their faith. Second observation about this passage is that the paralytic was not the only one affected by the healing power of Jesus. To authenticate his, who he was as the Son of God... Jesus, after he had already forgiven the man his sins, he turns to the young paralytic and tells him to get up and to go home. Now, that's the moment where I would love to have been in the room just to see what happens next. <clears throat> because you've got to admit, there's probably this hush that just falls in the crowd. No one's moving. All eyes are on this young man to see what's he going to do. So I imagine there's this brief moment where nothing happens. No one's saying a word, no noise, and everyone's wondering what's going to happen next. And then the young man probably moves a toe. You know, you've seen this in the movies, what they do with someone who's in the hospital, that first it's the finger moves, or a toe, and then a leg, and then within probably a matter of moments, the young man is, stands up, he folds his mat, and he begins to walk out. That, that, would have been, that would have been an amazing moment. But here's the thing to remember. In that moment, that young man's world went from a four-by-six mat to anywhere his legs could carry him. Anywhere his legs could carry him, his life changed instantly. But here's the thing to remember. It wasn't just his body that was healed. Before he actually heals him, what does Jesus do? He forgives him. That's significant. And, and I know many of us are probably praying for friends who don't yet know Jesus or, and who maybe are dealing with some issues in life. Maybe it's not a physical challenge. Maybe it could be financial or relational. There could be any number of, of challenges. But they're wrestling with this. And so not only should we be praying for their resolution of whatever it is they're facing, but we need to be praying first and foremost for their relationship with Jesus Christ. That is first and foremost, because as we all know, those of us who are getting older up in years recognize how short life is. Really, we're talking about eternity, and, and we need to be conscious of that. We can't lose sight of that, that what Jesus did first was to heal the man spiritually. He healed his soul, and then he healed him physically. But in that moment, everything changed for him, and he's now, literally, he is probably the healthiest person in that room. <laughs> and he forces his way through the crowd, and he walks out of the house in full view of them all, is what the passage tells us. And everyone's amazed. And then the party started. And nowhere was that party greater than it was with that young man and his four friends. Few things are more meaningful or fulfilling in life than recognizing that you made a fundamental difference in someone's life simply because you got involved. Right. If you're ever feeling depressed or discouraged, go do something for someone else. Right. Something where you won't get nothing in re where you won't get anything. You, you, where you get nothing in return. I have to have a good day. <laughs> embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> Something solely for the benefit. Now I lost my train of thought. Okay. But when you do this, I know I did this all the time in college. Sometimes you're just, ugh, you're just feeling it. I'd make my roommate's bed. 
You know, just uh, and that kind of bothered him. He's like, quit doing that. But, uh, <laughs> but it was it was the <laughs> he he was usually out of it. But um, <laughs> the point is, do it doesn't have to be complicated or big or it just it can be really simple. But it's just the act of doing something for someone else, with no expectation for anything in return, changes everything about us. So this young man was not the only one affected by this healing power of Jesus. <laughs> So see, by giving yourself away to someone else in that context, see if your focus and outlook on life doesn't change. I bet, I bet it does. So here's the thing, though, that's really unusual. Before you can be a roof breaker, you have to be a mat carrier. So what does that look like? A few thoughts on what that looks like. One is you need to develop friendships. Given the nature of their friendship, it's quite probable that these four have been moving their friend around for years. This was not just kind of a, in passing, hey, you know, we'll take you over and do this. This, was, this is probably a friendship that they've had for many, many years. And they've been carrying this man around for many years. So what does that say to us? You need to spend time with people. You need to actually get to know and be with people. Um, A few years ago, Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. And it was a look at American society. And and what what he's really like, even though it's kind of ironic that we're talking about a bowling night, that most bowling leagues and stuff are actually, they may have stabilized now, but they were really big at one point in time and beginning to diminish. I know if any of you are part of some of our civic clubs, um, um, Rotary, you know, some of the others as well, that whether they're part of the community, those are, are diminishing in membership and participation. And so Putnam's observation was this. He says, we're disengaging from the very things that hold us together. You know, it says sometimes even I've noticed uh, in all our minivans now, our vans, you've got video screens. For the kids. Now, having driven with kids for long trips, I get that. Uh, and I wish we had them when we, when we were, uh, so I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing, but what does that do to the family dynamic in the car? It changes it, doesn't it? Because everyone's now, my, my sister one time, uh, she had her th- one son was gone and all, see all their kids together, and she took this picture, and everyone is in the room together looking at their phone. Yeah. <laughs> Individually, and she took this picture and she sent it to me. She goes, "We're literally three minutes into being together, and so three minutes in, and we're already we're doing that." If that is your lifestyle, is that the way you have friendships? You can never be a mat carrier. You will never have the experience of breaking through the roof for someone else. You've got to develop friendships and relationships with other people. Secondly, I think you need to look for opportunities to serve. The four friends weren't sitting around looking for something to do. You know, like, hey, I'm bored. What do you guys want to do? I mean, the opportunity came to them. It presented itself to them. They heard, hey, Jesus was coming. They connected dots. Let's go do this. And then they acted. And they became mat carriers because of what was in their heart. They'd had a relationship. An opportunity presented itself. And then they took action. It's my firm belief and conviction that divine encounters with God are most often disguised as inconvenience and hardship. If if nothing else, they're an interruption to our schedule, at the very least. 
I've discovered sometimes, though, when you actually stop and take notice and give that attention, the things that can happen in those relationships. God rarely schedules meetings with us, does he? Hey, can I get on your calendar next week? Um, it just, it's, yeah. And so it, it's right, and you've got to recognize those moments. I think that's where most of us struggle. So look for opportunities to serve. And I think it's important what we see here in this example as well, serve with others, not alone. There's value in serving with other people. So if you're going to go do something, invite other people to go with you. Say, hey, this is the best part of my week. Come with me. And see what that doesn't do just for those relationships with the people. Share that feeling. Share that benefit and joy that you get from, from getting involved. Third way, I think, and talk about what it means to be a mat carrier is ultimately you just have to take action. You have to actually do something. Um, back in high school, uh, I played football, and uh, it was my senior year, and I, I wasn't getting much playing time. And so I went and actually talked to the coach, and I says, what's up? I says, why am I not playing? And um, <laughs> So he is, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a very long conversation here, but uh, basically he said this, is Sam, the light for you hasn't clicked on yet. I don't know, what does that mean? It says, you're too busy trying to do things the right way instead of just going out there and wreaking havoc. You know, here's the play, knowing what your assignment is, but just not caring, just, just that reckless abandon about doing your job. You're too preoccupied with doing things properly. And if you know me, that's not a surprise. But <laughs> on the football field, that creates a problem. <laughs> that sometimes in life, we've just got to be so quit thinking about all the things and just go out there and wreak havoc. You know, I've, uh, uh, you know, we've we've got a number of friends who are missionaries and serve in other countries, and. And I always, I've often heard people when they're praying for missionaries, praying for their safety. And, and, I, and I'm protected, and I get that. And that's needed and necessary. In addition to that, though, I always pray, God, make them dangerous for your kingdom. This idea of playing it safe and trying to make things all aligned, life is not neat and clean, is it? And sometimes if we want to have these encounters with God and these moments of our, you know, where we, we're participating with what God is doing, it requires in a, in a, sometimes almost a violent interruption of our normal pattern of life, and we've got to make some choices. Be dangerous for the kingdom of God. See, here's the thing. The biggest part of working with God is simply showing up. If Jesus Christ is in you, the presence of God is in any situation simply because we're there. You, meaning that should be an encouragement to you that you're not going in alone. You've got, you've got Jesus Christ residing in you and the power of the Holy Spirit with you. That should encourage us to go wreak havoc in wherever we're at, to go do something be dangerous for the kingdom of God. But take action. Don't sit on the side lane waiting and wondering what would happen if. Do something. So let me ask you this question. When was the last time you dug through a roof for someone else? When was the last time you performed an extraordinary act of servanthood for someone else's benefit? 
not because of what they could do for you, not because they were useful to you, but just because you knew it was the right thing to do simply because you cared about them. Now, for some of you, it may have been just this morning. For others, it may have been a while since you broke through a roof for someone else. The irony of being a roof breaker is that you first have to be a mat carrier. I'm convinced that personal fulfillment and satisfaction come when we give ourselves away to the service of others. People who live out such a vision are able to impact their community for Christ in ways we cannot imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And I'm thankful for these four friends who are such an example to us of what it means to participate with you in your kingdom work here on earth. They didn't wait around for the Holy Spirit to tell them to uh, pick up their friends and go see Jesus. They, they saw an opportunity and they connected with it and they took action immediately. May we have that same ability, Lord God. May we not be worried as much about our schedules, about other circumstances, what other people are going to say. Father, may us recognize those opportunities you bring to us. And may we then be able to take action because that's who you are and that's who you've called us to be. So, Father, for those of us who are um, actively engaged in this kind of work, God, I ask for strength, the ability to persevere in times of difficulty. Imagine it would be very difficult to be this young man's friend. It would take time and effort and even possibly resources. So, Father, for those who are in that kind of a relationship, I ask again for strength and perseverance. Father, for the ability... It's to see themselves growing in faith, see themselves growing, Lord, in just love for both their friend and for you as well. And Lord, for those of us who might not be as engaged, who might not have that such an opportunity, I pray, Lord, that we would be conscious of what's happening around us. I'm convinced, Lord, we don't necessarily even have to pray for that opportunity. We just have to be aware of what's going on. And then, Lord, may we recognize those moments, and then may we also have the courage and boldness to just take a step, introduce ourselves, um, ask a question, build a friendship. Father, may we be the people who aren't afraid to carry someone else's mat. May we be a people who aren't afraid to break through roofs for other people. So, Father... We ask for you to guide us and direct us in the days ahead that we would be known this would be our reputation. Father, we commit this now in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.